0: So last week, I think I was really caffeined up, and I was overcompensating because I was like so sleepy. Uh, Sean knows this Uh, because every time I I work with Sean, and like I take like five or six cups of coffee by like eleven a.m. or something like that, and I found out they actually was doing decaf, so no wonder. (laughs) I know. Okay, so. Just to recap, we talked about the parable of the sower, and I used uh, Mark chapter 4, Matthew 13, and Luke 8. We focused on the parable and and how it's a various response of God, I mean of us. Um, So there were four different types of soil. The path, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil. Let me move move up the slide. Okay, so the first, the path, what happens? The Satan immediately takes the seed, and this might be signifying that we might be naive, reject, or uh, naive to the rejection of the Word of God, or sorry, to the Word of God, the seed, and more or less unaware of the significance of the Word of God. And maybe this is also a sense of spiritual blindness that we might be suffering from. Number two, rocky ground. Those who accept the Word with much enthusiasm, but... You don't really root down. There's no root. So when hardships happen, when storms come, a rain comes or whatever, so wind, you just, you become uprooted, right? Uh, so those who have, you know, maybe have a very easy access to the gospel and they don't root down that much uh, during hard times. They don't, they don't meditate in the word of God. And for some reason, the plant dies quickly as it sort of sprung up. And then thorns, there's too many distractions in the lives, and, and Jesus actually singles out greed and materialism. And you can try to uh, think about different interpretation with the Greek study, right? But the, the actual Greek is the deceitfulness of riches or the seduction which comes from wealth. So it's very hard to get away from that understanding and that singling out of greed and materialism. By the way, regarding thorns, uh, Scholars speculate that Palestinian weed at that time could grow up to about six feet, also having a very complex root system. So even though you might grow up a little bit, you might sprout, you're not getting that much sun, and you can't really go deep as well because of this crazy root system that's there, right? So these first three soils have something in common. None of them produce fruit. None of them produce fruit. It's only the good soil that produces food, right? That actually is planted well. It bears fruit, not just a bit, but abundant and prosperous. That's the idea. It's prosperous. It's almost like there's no middle ground. Like you bared fruit just a little bit. You did okay. No, it, it's just like you bear abundantly, and then there's the, the soils that did not produce any fruit. All right. Uh, talked about Gal- I'm switching between apps. So the question that I ask is how do you take the Word of God and make sure that they bear fruit for the long haul? How do we do that? In this life and age of where we are at, it's very difficult for us, I think, where it's so, life is so fast-moving, things are so convenient, it's so crazy for us to live in that sense. In Galatians... In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, it talks about fruit of the Spirit. It talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When my two kids, when they fight over food or whatever, I said, Listen, guys, one of the fruits of this Holy Spirit is gentleness and kindness. Work it out. of they, kids they don't understand because they're one and three. But <laughs> you gotta start them young. Okay. So we we also uh, I also talked about us mentality and God's mentality. We thinking all about me and now and, and where God is at. <sighs> okay. Sorry. I thought I'd be better at this. Okay. Me, what can I get? Me and now, where God thinks of nations and us and the future in that sense. Um, And then uh, secondly, I think I mentioned is that nothing that's significant grows that fast. We're planning for the long term. So the seed might be planted now, but it might take months or even years for that to sort of spring out. So, in order for that, we need to plant ourselves and ground ourselves. So this does not necessarily mean in terms of geography or location, but sometimes maybe it is. You know, rather than us moving from place to place, from job to job, figuring out what it is, maybe we do need to stick with something and sort of, you know, make sure that we plant ourselves for the long haul. This isn't even including relationships, going from people to people, person to person, and so on. By the way, it is okay. I mean, I I think when you're going out of high school or when you're going out of college, you're still figuring things out and there's a time for experimentation and, and, and sort of learning about yourself and figuring out who you are. As long as it's with the intention of grounding yourself. As long as it's with the mindset that I have a specific purpose in mind of what I see or what God wants to do. And it can be somewhat general as long as you continue to work towards that specific goal. So one example that I had here uh, is Ephesians. Uh, all right. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 to 28. I actually did not have that specific verse up there, but I'll read it and you can believe and trust that it's there. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and has your deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry. Don't be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 28 is interesting. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So when we're talking about planting the seed, let's say you are a thief, and we actually talked about this on our house church this past Tuesday. You have to go from stealing, that was your profession or that was your way of your life. You stop stealing. Okay, maybe that was easy, but then you actually have to get a job. And then after that, you have to be generous with the money that you received. And if, I, if you think about just some, some of those things that you can work on in your own life, I mean, that right there, I can imagine maybe two, three years that you may have to work at, right? So actually stopping the false belief and habit, it may be hard, but for you to really change that mind around, right, it takes time. It takes time. Lastly, you should plan. I challenged uh, you guys to sort of plan for the future, and I used uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And sometimes when we make decisions, we have to think of the next generation. Somehow what I do impacts the next generation. And And even if you do not plan to have a baby, which I know a lot of people say, or a lot of girls say not a lot of guys like oh, I don't I don't want to have a baby. But all right, sorry. I lost the signal. Okay. But it if you are thinking in that implicational way like if I do this, this and this may happen and thinking for your children and your next generation, there's a bit of a more of a weight in the decisions that you make, isn't there? Cuz you realize my decisions are just not my own. My own decisions impact others. And I think sometimes we mistaken that in terms of the way we think of sin as well. Somehow we think the sin that I have or the struggle that I had is just me and my own. No, your sin impacts others. This is realized so much when somehow... When, when you see someone who's been struggling and, 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 and um, had kept this secret sin in their life, and all of a sudden is, is exposed, your family is ruined, your marriage is destroyed, it hurts your children, right? And you can, some, for some of you, you can think about your own fathers or your parents, or your grandparents or your uncles, for some craziness that has happened. You guys sort of flow with me? Ephesians chapter five verse 15 to 17, it says, "Look carefully then how you walk, not as much not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is." So I, I challenged last week, and I sort of ended with this in terms of uh where we have to think of the short term where we sort of have to think of the midterm and we also have, have to think of the long term what do you want to do within the next six months what do you want to do in the next five ten years what do you want to do in the next 20 years and plus plus? and you have to sort of think through that and move beyond our own fear and, and and ideas of what ifs and actually make some commitments that's a horrible word for some of us isn't it like ah commitments Ugh. it's like the boogeyman I remember uh, about a few years ago, I met this missionary. He was 80 years old. And we, were, we got to talking, and he just got, he just did his mission things starting then, right? He decided, he was, I think he had his own business, and he was doing fairly well. And he decided that it is time, For him to really do what he felt like God was calling him to do. And he told me when he was like seven or eight, he felt the call of God in his life to do these things in the nations and go out and do these uh, work for nonprofits and NGOs and, and missionaries and so on. And he told me, Sam, I wasted 70 years of my life doing that. Because of this fears of what ifs and commitment and a lack of deciding. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I was, our house church have been studying Ephesians, and it's interesting, very much so, that Paul, when he talks about us, he talks about in Christ. This is your identity, in Christ, in Christ. But he starts with that, but he always ends with something missional. You have to do something service, because sometimes our identity is realized in service and sacrificing ourselves discovering who we are so how do one of the best ways i believe to do this is discipleship something i think in this day and age where you know just i think the church and the generation it's it's very difficult because i think we struggle with like deep relationship in matthew 28 it's quite clear the great commission it's not about You know, going out there and and making new believers, it's about discipleship. If you guys are, uh, if you look at the passage, the emphasis is on making disciples. To disciple is to follow his precepts and instructions. To be a disciple is to imitate his own example. Sounds like a coach or a mentor. Or some, someone who is wise in your life. And we all need someone like that in our lives. We all need a prophet or a Nathan in our lives as David had. In a very basic way, it's like sort of like a child learning to speak, right? Only making noises at first, da-da, and when the kids, you know, you keep trying to tell the child, the baby to say da-da, he sort of gets it he's imitating at first that's all he is doing but there's a point where that imitation sort of fits with the meaning that noise that he's making with his vocal cords it sort of fits that way because like oh man this dude here who feeds me sometimes he uh and he changes me every once in a while he uh he gets excited when i say dala and the baby sort of makes a connection but for us we do need those people who are sort of showing us the way, who are wiser than us. To think that the job ends at you just coming to Christ, I think, is a bit naive. There's something you can get from listening to podcasts. Sorry, what I meant to say is, there's something that you cannot get from listening to podcasts, reading books, other external sources. There's only something that you can get from deep relationships, discipleship, and mentoring. When I first got into missions, one of the first things that I learned from this awesome leader—I thought he was one of, one of the—I mean, he was kind of corny at times, but I mean, I really looked up to him. And I think I learned more, even though he was a great teacher and a speaker and whatever. I think I learned more from watching him interact with his family. One time, I went—I went, I went uh, to hang out with his uh, uh, children. They were about the same age as me, actually, and he yelled at one of the girls. Uh, because he wanted to watch the news or something. I I couldn't remember. But he quickly realized, like, wow, that was such a dumb move for me. And he walked up. And even though the child was being rebellious in a way, he went up to apologize to his daughter. And for me, that was kind of cool to watch. Anyhow, he taught me that we should always strive to be discipling, And to be discipled. If you want to grow in your Christian walk, you should always strive toward a stage where you're able to disciple others, mentor others, show others, as well as being discipled. And I know that's not going to be the case throughout the stages of your life, you know. But at least one or the other we should be striving towards. Amen? Okay, Uh, so these people who may mentor you or disciple you, these people who recognize gifts in you where other people might not, these are the people that will see potential in you where others might not. These are the people who will invest their time, their resources. And by the way, majority of the time, you have to pursue the potential mentor right you can't expect someone to just come to you and disciple you they're not going to come to you and say hey i want to disciple you i want to teach you everything it's just weird it's a little awkward right you probably should go to that person you probably should say i would like to talk to you from time to time and get your advice on life and something of that sort there are people within our church Who are godly men and women. And you should take advantage of their time. You should go seek that out. Don't waste your time guys. And we do need to do this better. And I think we recognize this even within our own church. And we we are continually praying. And even as leadership. We're just working through this progress. Because we believe we are called to be a discipling community. Okay. So, moving to Colossians. Sorry. This specific passage is like a, it's a it's a Christ hymn. It's a powerful statement in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The first portion focused on his preeminent role in creation. Second, emphasizes his work as a redeemer. And now to any Christians, I think in this time or elsewhere in any time on the stage, I think if you had any doubt in terms of what role you had, I think this would give a clear indication of what he is about. So the first stage, this... this Uh, from verse 15 to 20, it's about the preeminent, a person of Christ. The first, uh, verse 15, uh, part of it is relationship to God the Father. Uh, Second part is relationship to all creation. And then the third part is relationship to the church and to the new creation. And this is probably one of the more debated passages uh, in the New Testament in terms of interpretation. Specifically over the meaning of its poetic language and its theological significance. So most argue, however, that this poetic quality in here, in this passage, suggests that Paul probably did not compose this. It was probably already existing. And what he probably did was he sort of remixed it, edited it. So this poetic quality of this passage makes it more difficult for the modern interpreter to understand what Paul might have intended to communicate to the original readers. Now, there is this rhythmic pattern uh, in this. It's actually more clear in Greek, but it's uneven, and the stanza markers are really not that clear. And I think we expect in in our hymns and our songs things to rhyme and things to sort of da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, in that way. So you may notice that there's two roughly parallel stanzas about Christ which are constructed in the following. He is. He is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead both one in verse 15 and the other in verse 18. In verse 15, image, right, icon uh, in Greek, uh, has sort of three characteristics, the likeness, the representation, and the manifestation. Likeness is what Christ is, the exact likeness of God, Representation is what Christ represents God to us, and manifestation is what Christ makes God known to us. So this Greek word translated in image, um, it does not really imply like a copy, something that's diluted. You know, like when you take something, uh, when you make a print, and sometimes you copy that, sometimes you see like lines and, and marks and stuff like that. It's, it doesn't really mean that way. Rather, it's more of an exact Essence and the difference for us is that God made men in His image, but we are not the that essence of God, right? So, in verse 15, this is the other that somewhat contested it firstborn, the Greek term prototokos, is argued to mean firstborn a child to one who is preeminent in rank. Now, obviously, Jesus, He already was, and emphasis is on the rank and the superiority over all creation within this passage. Now, what firstborn does not mean, it does not mean that Christ was the first being to be created, as somewhat the the ancient Arians uh, in around the 300s uh, where they argued, and it, it became somewhat popular because the first person who sort of came up with that, you know, like, God is a cre- the, one of the first created beings, and he started arguing for that. And he was very anti-Trinitarian, saying that because uh, if you're equating that as God as a created being, he cannot be part of the Trinity, right? So, and, and all that understanding of Trinity sort of uh, crumbles. This is also what the Jehovah Witnesses teach, suggesting that Christ create was created all the things after he was created. So, obviously, for us. Uh, this is obviously not what the text says. If you look at the text before, text after, within the whole context, it's clear that Christ is God, the second person of Trinity, and the emphasis is that Jesus already was. Yeah? A couple other things that I wanted to point out. In verse 17, I sort of underlined, it's not really in your Bible. I underlined it and bolded it. In verse uh, 17, in him all things hold together. It's sort of, the greek word it sort of means to exist and to um let me see what i had here to continue to endure and exist right that 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 all of creation is sort of held together by him and that's important for us to understand as i go into the next uh next point further a little down Verse 18, firstborn from among the dead. Here's the reference of Jesus as a firstborn from among the dead, which argues sort of a chronological priority, right? That Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, to be resurrected in this new creation era, looking forward to age to come, the new heavens and the new creation. And then verse 20, reconciled to himself all things. It's not God reconciling himself, Right? God never has this need to be reconciled to you. It's us being reconciled to him. That's an important uh, thing to make. Now, in this passage, Paul is declaring that Christ is Lord of both worlds. Right? That Christ is—Jesus is the Lord over the cosmos. It's not just within here, within now, within this space, within this confinement. It's beyond us that the Lord is Lord over all, essentially. If Christ is Lord over all of God's creation, then those in Christ have been transformed into a new creation and embody God's reconciliation of all things. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to get into a little more practical just now. I just wanted to get into those couple different uh, points. So the Creator's ultimate goal for the fallen creation is a reconciliation or restoration of all things, and this goal has already been achieved on the cross. Now, the theological conviction implies a practical point as well, that as part of the new creation, we are to live this out in every part of our lives. There's no area where Christ is not the Lord of all. So, this passage is a definite challenge, I think, for us in the church. With the sacred and secular divide, to some extent, there was a separation of secular and sacred, and I think, a lot more in the previous generation. And I think for us, it's a little bit more, you know, we, I think we see things a little bit more uh, coming together, holistic, all in sort of a one big picture. And there is this separation. And secular, I think, much more in a previous generation. But I think even for us, that false dichotomy sort of exists. So in that, there is a split of thinking secular things. You know, here's my reason. Reason, that's sort of secular. My faith, that's sacred. Um, I would have a... I don't know, uh, for some of you, when I first became Christian, I had my sacred CDs music, and my secular CDs. And I can't tell you how many times I actually, like, oh, God, I dedicated my whole life to you. And, like, I, threw, I would throw away these CDs. And, like, a few years later, I would collect them again. Like, it's, I wasted my money in that way. Thank you, God. No, that's just mine. That was myself. Now, it still exists, I think, in this mindset for us because... Um, Sometimes when we think of, I really want to serve God, some people are thinking in terms of full-time ministry. Like somehow you can only serve God within the confinements of the four walls of the church. And that simply is not the case. Even for those, I think, who might be past that, this dichotomy in their minds of combating social justice, doing, you know, um, charity work and those things may be involved versus those who are saving souls and it's like dividing the work of life and the Christ and the kingdom stuff versus what happened on the cross and you cannot divide that stuff his resurrection his work his the, the life and the person of Jesus Christ and the miracles that he did cannot be separa- separated from what happened on the cross It's the mindset like this stuff here is temporary and the real stuff is sort of waiting us in heaven when we die. And when I read this passage, that simply is not the case. Oh, sorry. I'm trying. I think when Tommy does this, I think he actually has two devices. I think that's the way he's... He has, I know he has the uh, iPad mini. So, sorry, going back. When I read, when I read this passage, uh, I don't think that's the case. I think this argues for this holistic outlook that I was talking about. And I think we realize that what he meant is reconciling all things to himself. And when we go back in Genesis, I'm not going to go into... What exactly that means. Because I'm not arguing for universalism, by the way. I'm not talking about all of us will be saved. That's not what I'm arguing for. Right? So if you have that in your mind, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all of creation and what that means for us in terms of in our lives. And how we make the division there in our lives. Okay? I think I... Okay. So, when we go back in Genesis... Where God gives man dominion and entrusts us over the creation. This text, he entrusts the mankind for taking care of the creation. And this is God sort of giving us responsibility and authority. Okay, you with me? There is a similar scene in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus is about to ascend and go, right? This is after he died on the cross spent 40 days, and then, you know, um, he's about to ascend. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice the repetition of all in verses 18 to 20. All authority, all nations, all things, all the days. It's not just this or that within the sacred conf- spaces. It's all things. If you wanted to look at that verse, I, I don't think I had it. It's, actually, I, I do have it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. I don't have the uh, actual uh, words there. So it's very convenient, I think, for us to sort of blame An all-powerful God. Right? Thinking of God who controls all things. But then what do you do when the all-powerful gives you dominion and authority? What do you do? When God equips us, with the power of the Holy Spirit by the way, and entrusts us with the good news... How are we to respond? Because it's so easy to blame God for our relationships, for this and for that, with that mindset of God controlling everything like a puppet master in a way. My next question goes back to the sacred spaces and the non-sacred spaces. Is there something that is so ruined that God cannot redeem it? Is there something that's so messed up? Is a person that is so messed up that God cannot redeem him or her? When you are called into ministry or what you think that may be, it's not just in the pulpits. It's not just the worship leaders, right? It's not just in coffee houses, but in the red light districts. It's in the slums. It's in the mess. It's in the chaos. It's in the dirt. The screwed up spaces, and he desperately wants to use us to redeem it. This means for us to go and make disciples in all spheres. It literally took me like ten minutes to do this. No, maybe more actually. But anyhow, uh, a couple of different organizations sort of use a sphere. It's called Sphere of uh, Influence or, or Society. And sometimes I think when we think of the mission of God and the great commission and, uh, and, and what we are to do to this general calling, sometimes we confine it into a very tiny and narrow area and I, This is not complete obviously uh, because i 'm sure you guys can think of different nukes and crannies, but you know they came up with it because it 's seven it 's the number that you know eight doesn 't make sense. So, there's arts and sports, there's family, there's business, technology, and science, there's government, there's religion, there's education, and media and communication. And it's not just for us, get it? Just to be in the religion side of things, but to go beyond that. You guys with me? I know uh, this one organization. Uh, The president's son, he's really taken this to heart, and he's been doing movies with the intention of redeeming that space and sort of injecting gospel in that area. And right now, uh, he he is somewhat established because he had, I think, two different movies uh, that were out in uh, the theaters. I can't remember for the life of me. Uh, but he also did some uh, series with ABC. I think he did the Path to 9-11, and he did a bunch of other different stuff. So he, he's not like some strange Christian guy in the corner, right? He's, he's trying to do stuff in the mainstream. And right now, I know he is trying to create a, a, this movie about the three men, the three warriors that protected King David. And I saw, I saw the, the, sort of the, the outline for this, and it's awesome. And, it, and I, I used to think about it, too, like, oh, I wish I had, like, the gifts to sort of create this movies to sort of retell the story using, movie, uh, using the cinemas, right? So there are people doing that. That's just one example. There's people who are doing that in the music. There are people doing that in government. There's people who are doing that in education. There are people who are doing that in sports and arts and whatever else beyond these areas of influence, We need artists, we need the business-minded, we need those who can create along with those who can fight injustice in the court of law. Not just preach it. We need to move away from this mindset that God can only use certain people who are in ministry career-wise, right? Like, you know, the worship leader or the preacher or this and that. And I think that's really a lie. Just a lie of the evil one. And the misunderstanding of our duties as a Christian. Kingdom of God is not only made of pastors, teachers, worship leaders who do the work within the walls of the church, but it's also those who are involved in charities and nonprofits and, and mission organizations. And not just those, actually. Kingdom of God is also made of musicians, doctors, entrepreneurs, plumbers, Mechanics, tax collectors, because those are the very own that sometimes God chooses to use in the kingdom of God. I think the other part of the problem is this that, that many people in the church who you know quickly say, Amen, and I agree to God can do all things within these spheres and influences and whatnot, but we hesitate when you know the point is the finger is pointed at us and say god can do all things through you maybe that's where we sort of stop there and realize well you know i don't know i start doubting if god can do all things through me you know in that sense but who are we to say that god can move through one person or another if he can use a donkey if he can use fishermen he, if he can use tax collectors God certainly can use you, right? And that's sort of what I'm trying to drill, I guess, moving, moving from where we were talking about planting the seed in your life, the word of God in your life. How can you take that and make sure that it produced fruit within your sphere of influence, where you are at or where you're going to be? So I challenge you guys to dream dreams. And think of ideas and, and innovate. Because we serve a God who is an awesome innovator, who is an awesome creator. You're not limited. You're not limited. What can you do? How can you serve? How can you use the seed? How can you use the gift that is in your hands? You know, the parable of the, the talents where, where the owner sort of leaves... For, for vacation or whatever, I don't know. But he, he has three servants, give some money to you know, one, give uh, less money to the second one, and give uh, uh, some uh, talents and money to the third one as well. And the third one was so afraid of using what God gave this person that he hid it where no one else can find it. Think about that. Those other two, they took risks. If they invested in business, if they did something with that money, it means they took a risk to create something with what God has given them. And my challenge, I think, for you guys this morning, the story of Christianity does not end with just Jesus on the cross, right? It's about the resurrection. It's the hope of the future. It's being able to create in this what we consider secular and sacred spaces and all the above. He is the Lord over the cosmos. Let's move into a time of communion. And as you take the body of of Christ and blood, remember, you are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Find your calling in that. Find your destiny and meaning in that. For those of you who who are just visiting, uh, and uh, we welcome you guys. If you're a Christian, if we welcome you guys to take sort of communion with us, you don't have to be a member or whatnot. Uh, for those who do not believe, this is a very sacred uh, space for us. Um, And we ask you to sort of not take part in it, because I I really don't think you understand um, the action and the the symbolism behind these actions that we're taking. But for those of you guys who are taking part in the communion, think about that. Think about what the sacrifice meant and, and what it means beyond our own little understanding what it means within the cosmos. Let's pray. So Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you're not a God just, you know, over the the little religion, real just you know, just God over Christianity, but you're a God over the cosmos. That you're beyond what we think in our own little minds. I pray, O Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would come to us and inspire us to create and bring fresh breath, O Father, fresh look in the way we do church and the way we do missions in the name of Jesus. I pray, O Father, for those who struggle with identity, Lord, that they would be able to move into a new understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And I pray, oh, Father, that you would really let us not just stay within our understanding of identity, but what it means to go beyond that and actually do the kingdom work. So I thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that these seeds produce fruit. It bears fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen.